the last week in Exodus, and luckily we're just going to continue the story. We're going to go straight into Leviticus. Uh, actually, it doesn't really continue the story. It continues the statutes contained within the story. Um, and Leviticus is a great book to take some time and study. It's, it's always pointed to as sort of the point in your Bible reading plan where you kind of fall off around February or March, if you do like the year through the Bible. <laughs> Leviticus is, it'll get you. Um, but I, I love Leviticus. I'm looking forward to the three weeks that we'll have in Leviticus. Um, keep up with the readings. I think, we, I think we've set the readings for through the summer. Is that right? Does everyone have all the readings? Sent those out? If you don't, let me know. I'll, I can resend them or whatever. Um, so we're going to cover a large portion of Exodus, but, but a lot of it boils down to chapter 32. Um, the last third of the book is all about God's revelation of his dwelling place, his, his presence, the plans for the tabernacle. And it's no accident that we have a big chunk of God's instructions and then a big chunk of the people carrying out the instructions. And right in the middle of there, we have an utter failure <laughs> to follow the instructions. All right, and so all of it pivots on this chapter 32, really 32 through 34. So that's where we're going to hang out tonight. And I had mentioned when we were going through the series on the church that I wanted to point out the places in Exodus that really um, illuminated some of the, the principles of, of how we build church and how we um, live our lives together as the people of God. And this is really one of those sections that we draw a lot of uh, truth from as we think about not necessarily the specifics or the methods with which we build community, but the way in which we, we look to God to receive the pattern, right? Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I also just want to talk about the story itself because it's, um, there's a lot in here. There, there really is a lot in here. It's one of those chapters in Scripture that has a lot of New Testament references and even in the Old Testament and the Psalms and things, it's, it's constantly referring back to this episode in the wilderness. Um, and so it's a significant part of the history of the people of God uh, and his interactions with his people. So let's read, um, let's read the first six verses and then we'll go from there. Chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink 
and rose up to play. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open your word to us, that we would hear what we need to hear, that we would hear the Holy Spirit and what he would say to the church tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I say, this comes right in the middle. Uh, what the, the chapters that have led up to this, and you all read it, are very detailed instruction. Moses is up on the mountain. What happens, the very first verse, it says, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, and they gathered themselves together. All right, this is the first, this is the first thing that goes wrong here. The people have gone past the point where they're comfortable waiting. They are getting itchy. They're getting antsy for something. All right, and I hope you see the parallel between this and some of the previous grumblings that have happened. All right, we've come out here into the wilderness. It's been three days. Where's the water? Right? We are out here. We need some food. We don't know where food's going to come from. What are we going to do? You brought us out here to die. What God has been doing, and we've, we've looked at this uh, for the past couple of weeks, what God has been doing with his people is teaching them who he is, teaching them how they are to rely on him, trying to pry them away from the ways of Egypt and toward trust in him. All right? So here in this story is the same thing. It's not a physical need that they're feeling, but it is a need, right? It's a, it's a, it's a longing that actually God placed in every one of us to worship, to have gods, right? To, and there's, there, it does a deep thing. I, I, I don't want to get into everything that that does to a person, right? But God made us to worship. He made us to worship him. But we need to worship. And when we don't worship him, we'll worship something. We're always worshiping something, okay? And so they get to the point, like they've gotten before with water and food and protection, they get to the point where they don't want to wait anymore, Okay, and God has continually been bringing them to that line to show them their hearts. He wants to meet their needs. He wants to be their God. He wants to give them water. He wants to give them food. But he needs them to trust him, first of all. And so he brings them to the line. And when they're at that line, their, their true hearts become apparent. Okay, that is what happens over and over and over in the story of the Old Testament. God brings his people to the line to show them themselves, and they see themselves, and what they do after that is usually fail, right? Usually freak out, make a golden calf, curse God, curse his ordained leadership, or whatever, rebel, go to a foreign nation and ask for help. Time and time again, when they get to that line, they turn away from God. There's an interesting... Um, Praise the Lord. Plague? Any insights? <laughs> that sounds better than plague. Like, sakach. That sounds like a bunch of locusts flying around. Acts 7. Thank you. Uh, I, I found my place now. Acts 7. Um, you remember Acts 7? You know what happens in Acts 7? This is uh, the first martyr, Stephen. 
Um, yes, uh, there's two Stevens here. I think they were named after this Steven. Uh, he is testifying before the Pharisees. And what is his speech all about? You remember he gives this long speech. And it's, it's one of these great places in the Bible where someone gives a speech. And it's this awesome abridged history of the people of God with a particular angle. All right, what's, what's Stephen's angle in this speech? He gives a wonderful survey of the Old Testament with a particular angle. Do you know what it is? Um, what is he emphasizing in his retelling of the history? There's a lot of things you can emphasize in telling the history of the people of God. Their disobedience, their disobedience, the Pharisees and what happened in the past. Yes, in particular, the dwelling place of God. He said, you've, you've never understood what God's really after, right? You think it's something made by hands. It's never been something made by hands, okay? You become obsessed with building by hands the, the household of God. He's never wanted to dwell in that ultimately, okay? So he, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, he says, verse, start at verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent both as ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. I love how the writer of Acts brings that into clarity. He says that in saying up, make for us gods, they had turned aside, turned away from God, and in their hearts turned to Egypt. Right? This is what God has been, has been working on in them. They're, they're not out of Egypt yet. They are physically out, but they have not been cleansed of all of the Egypt. And in their hearts, it says, in this moment of Where's Moses? We don't know what's become of him. In this moment, they turn aside to Egypt. Okay? And I think that's an amazing passage of Scripture in the New Testament. Saying to, and as for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. They were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. In other words, all the deities, all the pantheon of all those those deities that had been in their hearts when they were in Egypt. Just that, that cultural soup that they were swimming in. That's what God gave them over. All right? Go back to Exodus 34. Verse 
Verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Talk about taking the name of the Lord in vain. Slapping Yahweh on the golden calf. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. All right. Using God's name as packaging for the works of our own hands. Okay. It's not, God will not be packaging. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, another great phrase, it is a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked people. They've come out of Egypt. Egypt's back there. And this is what they're doing. God's over here. God's revealing his ways. God's revealing the pattern. And they're their necks are stiff, and they're turned back towards Egypt all, the whole time. This is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. I'm done with this people. Moses, I'm going to start over with you. It wouldn't be the first time that God has scrapped everything and started over with one guy. So this is a... This is a This is a moment of crisis here. And then Moses has a great intercession. And I want to look at what God, or what Moses on his heart brings as an intercession before the Lord. Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? No, you did wonders. You did great things. Verse 12 Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? What's he concerned with? Yes. All of the signs and wonders were to reveal to Egypt, then they will know that I am Yahweh. When I bring my people out and when my people come to worship me on this mountain, worship me in the wilderness, then they'll know, they'll know. They need to know. And Moses says, If you leave them out here, they won't know who you are. They won't know. With evil intent did he bring them out uh, to kill them in, in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster among your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. He appeals to the promise to Abraham. This is a wonderful place in scripture where we just get thrown all the way back to that one guy in Genesis 12, just the one guy that that God found. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back, they were written, The tablets were the work of God, and they were the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Sometimes I say that when I come down in the morning. (laughs) And the boys are already up. 
<laughs> but he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. What was the sound of rebellion? What was the sound of the stiff-necked people? Singing. Right? It was singing. It was worship. It was dancing. So the people rose up and sat down. They rose up to play, sat down to eat and drink. They were having a good time. They were having church. And it was wonderful. It was, it was happening. Okay, so the sound of the people of God turning away from him sounded like a really great party, which is important. I think you get sometimes the, the picture in your mind of like, they come down and there's just this awful stuff going on and, the, you know, drunk people and there's just debauchery happening. And there may have been some of that going on, but it's the sound of singing. Right? It wasn't the sound of suffering or pillaging or plundering. <laughs> it's the sound of singing. They were full of joy and mirth. Okay. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hand, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. All right, so... They had turned away from God. They turned aside in their hearts to Egypt. They couldn't stand not knowing what was happening. They couldn't stand the, what they perceived as a, as a vacuum. And they had to fill it with something of their own making. And what they filled it with was not God, was not of God. It was of Egypt. And they, in, that thing, in that space that God had opened up for himself to come and fill... They got tired of waiting and filled it with themselves. Filled it with their own ideas and the work of their own hands. So there's two faults here. And, and the first fault is of the people, obviously. Okay? They, they become impatient without a, tan, a tangible plan, tangible object to worship. But the other fault as we see as we read further, is with Aaron. Okay? Moses comes, and obviously the fault of the people, they've gone and they've created an idol, and they've worshipped the idol, and they've stuck the name of Yahweh on the idol. And even said, this is who brought you out of Egypt. God's over in the corner saying, no, <laughs> it was me. The other fault is with Aaron, and he, he is guilty. He is guilty of accommodating the masses. Okay, he doesn't say, no, we are going to wait. God has a plan, and he has timing. And if Moses is still up on the mountain, it means that Moses still needs to be up on the mountain. And if the, the clear plan isn't in front of us, well, then the clear plan isn't in front of us yet. And we're going to wait until it is, before we do something. That's what, Mo, that's what Aaron needed to do. But he gives in to the pressure, and he... Graves, he uses a graving tool and he creates something and he breaks the second commandment, right? Constructing something for people to worship. And he, he becomes an accomplice. 
And he complies with the demands that the people place on him. So those are the two faults. And those are the two things that we need to look at and see ourselves in. As 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things were written for our instruction. And it specifically names this passage as one of those things that was written down for our instruction. We have been tasked, and we know this, with building the household of God. We are the church of God. This is where God is to dwell. What does that mean? It means that God has a pattern for us. Right? He has plans for us. And we need to seek him until we find the plan. And we need to wait on him until we're sure of the plan. And in the absence of a clear plan, we should not just do what seems best and fill time or fill space or fill the schedule. That's not what we do. We wait and everything that we do needs to be according to the pattern that God has set. And what is the pattern? I mean, the good news for us is that we, we have a pattern that's even better than the one that Moses got. We don't just have instructions. We have an actual man named Jesus who is the pattern. He is what life should be. He is the man come down from God. He is the stone on which God has written everything that he desires. And he has come down and we have received him. He is the word made flesh. And he has dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. So we know what the true tabernacle should look like. It's Jesus. And so we never have to wait. Right? We will never have to wait like the people did for Moses to come down the mountain. Because we have the pattern. Okay? But there still are times in our lives where maybe life is dull. Or maybe it's just kind of drudgery. And maybe we're not quite sure what God's going to make of all of this. <laughs> Why does he have me doing this? Why are we just in this holding pattern? Right, it's in those times that we begin to fill our need for worship with other things with worldly things, with things that seem best. With, I would say efficiency is one of those things that we fill it with. Expediency, the path of least resistance. Why is it so difficult to do this? Why don't we make it more efficient? We need to be careful, right? <clears throat> Got lost. All right, um, First Peter two. As you come to him, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. 
This is great. We have the cornerstone. We have the pattern. He is the one. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, which is the contents of the Sinai covenant. If you will do this, you will be my royal priesthood, my chosen possession. Exodus 19. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim that from you may emanate the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, out of Egypt and into the promised land. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, this next section is connected, right? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. What are we talking about? Building the house of God. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There it is. That's what Moses was concerned about. He wanted the conduct of the people of God to be honorable among the Gentiles. He wanted, when people looked at the people of God, for them to say, their God is the God. That's what God's purpose is through the whole Old Testament. To make a people that all nations could look at and say, that's the way. (laughs) Whoa, that God is God. Of all of our gods. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay? So, Exodus ends with this. This wonderful, glorious pattern. And I'll send you a link. I think it was the last time we went through Exodus. Somebody, it may have been Dan Scheffler or Billy Henderson, gave a great teaching on all the different parts of the tabernacle. And I would have liked to have had time to do that, but luckily it's recorded and we can just go listen to that again. But every aspect, and we'll get into this when we get into the book of Hebrews, every aspect of the tabernacle is a reflection of something in the heavenly pattern, in the heavenly, the heavenly place. Okay? And it really does speak of Christ himself. Okay? The holy of holies, the bread of the presence, the light. Jesus really is all of the furniture of the tabernacle. Okay? He's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. He is the ark of the covenant. In him is the law. In him is the staff, the authority, and in him is all of those things. Um, and he says that the, the curtain was torn. It says the curtain of his own flesh, right? As Jesus' body was torn, the curtain that divided the holy from the people was broken. And, and now the pattern can go out and, and the, the holiness and the glory can be on everyone. Well, I'll leave that uh, for, for the recording. So, but the last part of Exodus is about this. It's about the God coming to dwell. He's brought them out. He's revealed who he is. He's shown them where they don't trust him. And now he wants to come and dwell. And at every step, the people have an opportunity 
to receive him and to trust him. But at every step, they fail. And we, we have to be careful. We always have to be careful of looking back and going, oh, those dumb Israelites back there. Because it's for our instruction. Okay? So the question is, there, there are those two faults. The, 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 the fault of the people. We need to ask ourselves, do we get antsy? Do we fill time with stuff? Because we really don't know how to wait on God and receive the pattern and then go and live our lives according to that pattern. Okay? Moses' delay was God's, was God's idea. God knew just how long to hold Moses up there on the mountain so that the people would start to uh, wonder. Okay? He was testing them. God will lead us through our lives in ways, put us in situations that reveal our hearts to us. Okay. He'll do this with individuals, and he'll do this with communities. We as a church, we're new, we're still figuring things out, but we will reach stretches of the life of our church where we, we don't know what to do next. And we're not quite sure. And maybe some people will have just left, and we're not sure if we're doing things right. <laughs> we'll start kind of sitting there, and we'll call a time, let's, let's pray. Let's wait on God. And then maybe that time stretches on a little too long. And we start to get antsy. Well, we need to do an outreach. We need to get some more people in here. We need to do X, Y, or Z. We need to do this for worship. Or we need to do this for home group. Or we need to have more s'mores nights. Or we need to have less s'mores nights. (laughs) And the worst thing to do would just be... The worst thing for me to do would just be to go, All right, let's... Let's go to the greatest idea. Let's go to the best idea. All right, Saul, let's do it. Okay? So that's one thing. Us as a church, us as individuals and our families, do we wait on God? Do we really get a clear vision and act on the vision in obedience to God? Or do we think in human terms and say, well, this, I'd like my family to look like this, or I'd like my life to look like this. I'd like for people to think this about me. So I'm going to give myself to this. It's a totally different way of living. You can go off and get in touch with yourself and figure out what you want to be, or you can go away and fix your eyes on the pattern and then come and conform your life to the pattern. Two totally different ways of being a disciple. Well, no, one's not a being a disciple. Two totally different ways of relating to God. Okay? You can make your thing, put God's name on it, and it's an idol. It's blasphemous. It's vain. Or you can really get God's plan, and you don't have to put your name, his name on it because he's already put his own name on it. It's written with his hand. And everyone knows this is God's tablet. Okay. So that's the, that's the warning on, from the perspective of the, the people. But there's also a warning from the perspective of Aaron. Okay, we are the people of God. We are a priesthood. And there will be pressure to be something. People, it says in, in Timothy, yeah, 2 Timothy, people, it says in the last days, there will come times of trouble. People will accumulate for themselves teachings according to their own passions. 
having itching ears. I have to think that the people in Exodus were starting to have itching ears. We need something. And there will be pressure on you as a believer. There will be pressure on us as a church. There will be pressure on home group leaders as leaders in this church. There will be pressure on me as a pastor from people who want to fill the void to be something for them. And churches all across America have done market research and said, what should we be? Tell us, all right, we'll do it. We will be it. What's the church you're likely to, to stay with? What kind of programming will likely keep you here for the longest time? All right, let's make the church into that. Do you see that? Complying with the demands of the idolatrous masses, of the mob. And we can never become a church that does that. We can never become a home group that says, what's the most attractive thing? Okay, We want to resist that and say, no, we are building according to the pattern. And if you need more information than we have from God yet, well, you're just going to have to wait with us. Because we're waiting on God. You can, you can join us and wait, but we will not accommodate that idolatrous urge that's in the heart of man. We are waiting on God, allowing our stiff necks to be loosened up so that we can actually see straight. And when we're walking toward him, we actually look at him and look at the pattern. Okay? So those are the two, I think, perspectives and the stories that we need to take as warnings for ourselves. Take heed, it says in 1 Corinthians 10. Anyone that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. The worst place to be in is to think you've got it figured out. To think this story doesn't apply to you. (laughs) Paul has your number. He says, take heed. Especially if you think that you stand. Especially if you think that you've got the pattern down. All right, I got it figured out. Take heed lest you fall. Um, so I want to finish in 1 Corinthians 10 because I think we always have to bring it back there in this portion. So profound. It, it's, it's, a, it's a lifetime of wisdom here. Now these things, verse 6, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now listen to this. No temptation. And another word, another translation of that is no test. All right. Temptation is is the same word as testing. Okay. No test has overtaken you that is not common to man. What does that mean? God's going to bring you to the same place. God's going to delay just long enough 
to give you a chance to see what's inside of you. God's going to cause a thirst that's just thirsty enough to make you scratch your head a little bit and see what's in your heart and see if there's grumbling there or see if there's trust there. Because God has all the water in the world. God has all the bread in the world. God has all the quail in the world. God has all the everything in the world. That's not a problem. The problem is, as soon as he gives people those things, they worship them. And so he wants a people who, once he blesses them, they don't worship the things that the blessing, the substance of the blessing. They don't worship the water or worship the sun or worship anything that comes from God. They worship God, the giver of the gifts. But that's something that God has to, a work that God has to do in our hearts. And he does it by bringing us, by testing us, by bringing us to the edge. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He's doing this with everyone. This is the way he works. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He knows the limit, and he will take you right to it. He's 100% in control. He's 100% safe. All right? The parents in the room know. You know the limit. You can test your children. You know, you can test it, but you know how, what their swimming ability is. And you want to take them to the limit so that they can learn how to swim a little better. But you never let them go beyond the limit. You know where the limit is. You know what's safe. Okay? God is faithful. And he knows he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And this is all, you see this all through the story. With the temptation, with the test, God provides the way of escape. With the thirst, God provided the spring of water. With the hunger, God provided the bread. And it's always right on the other side. Okay, and this is how we have to think. When we come to these tests in our lives, these tests of our heart, where our heart really gets revealed, we have to be a people who know God, who know his faithfulness, who know his provision, who know his way of escape. Because it's always there. It's always available. It doesn't matter what your perception is. It's always available. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. In those moments, that, that is what causes you to become an idolater. It talks about, he says, covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Man, my life... I don't have as much water as them. I wish I had uh, as much water as that. I think I was just going to go find some more water for myself somewhere. That's idolatry. That's how covetousness is idolatry. I have this need. I need something. And God said he was going to provide it, but I don't know. I, I don't see him really coming through. I wish, if only... Okay? That is where idolatry creeps in into our lives. Therefore, my beloveds, flee from idolatry. Amen? So, so the, the end of Exodus is a warning against idolatry. Why? Because God wants to build a house and come and dwell with his people, but he cannot do it with a people who will not live according to the pattern, who won't hold still long enough 
who won't turn their faces long enough away from Egypt to see the pattern and to realize it and to get the vision so that they can then live according to the pattern. So it's a warning for us. And uh, so allow, allow God to search your heart in these days. I think it's, it's wonderful to go through this as a young church because this is where we can all together affirm these things and say, moving forward, we know we're going to come up to that test. We know we're going to wonder, what's next? Not 100% sure. And we can know that ahead of time. And we can know what to do. We can know that what God really wants is for us to trust him and to remain content and to remain faithful to what we know he wants us to do. That's the biggest thing, to cling to what we know he wants us to do until the next thing becomes apparent. Amen? All right, so let's pray. And then um, if I want to get better at, at uh, us having, like, being able to share what God is doing in our hearts. Because these, these moments are, are good. And, and the Holy Spirit really is here. We've prayed. We've worshipped. We've been in the presence of God. We've partaken of his body and blood. And it does a lot of good when um, people testify to the truth of his word and to, to the, his presence here. So I'm going to pray. And then if you have something to share uh, or just affirm or amen or even a question or whatever, um, let's have a little bit of time of just kind of hanging out in this together. And then, uh, and then we, can, we can part ways. But um, let's say before the Lord. Because this is one of those teachings that needs to, to search us. And God needs to use this to really get at our hearts. What are those things that we construct in the absence of, of the, the clear pattern for our lives? Do we make our own pattern? Do we have our own desires that we want to fill? And do we look around? Do we look toward Egypt? Do we look to the world? Or even do we just look toward someone else's life? for the pattern or do we wait on God and search it out in his scripture let's pray father come and search us Uh, Lord thank you that you are faithful and that you work on us Lord that you don't just bring us from Egypt and leave us in the wilderness Lord you have a complete program for us of restoration and recreation Lord and I thank you that you brought us out of Egypt, God, that you have brought us out of sin. But Lord, we know you have a lot of work to do in our hearts, that in many ways we can be a stiff-necked people who don't look at you, who look toward Egypt, who turn aside toward Egypt in our hearts, Uh, especially, Lord, when the pressures of life start to, to bear down on us. But Lord, we want to be a people who receive that pressure and take joy in it. Because it means that your provision is around the corner. And that you are working in us trust and reliance upon you. And humility, God. And we know that, that in a humble heart, in a contrite spirit, Lord, you can do wonders in, in the world. Lord, through a submitted, contented person. Lord, you can do amazing things. And we want to be that people. And Lord, we know that for many reasons, we are not that people in many ways, God. When the pressures come and our true selves become apparent to us, 
And we see that, Lord, and we thank you that uh, you don't leave us to shame. But, Lord, in those moments, we can take hope and receive uh, your correction and grow more into your likeness. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would minister this word to us as individuals, but also, Lord, to us as a church. Make this who we are, Father. Make us a church who heed the warning. Make us a church who are soft and, and attentive to you and who wait patiently, God, for vision and for direction. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, thank you that all these things, uh, Lord, you have provided a way of escape. Hallelujah. Lord, you are very present in our time of need. And we honor you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.